Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Women in Sport podcast. Thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode and those of you that got in touch and even got in touch with our email inbox and came through with some suggestions of what you want to chat about on the podcast as well as some other feedback. It's really great to hear from you and it's good to know that people are enjoying the podcast. For the second episode of this podcast, we're going to be chatting about equal pay. Now, the US women's football team's recent fight for equal pay made headlines, and our Beyond 30% work has touched on the fact that 40% of women working in sport feel less valued than men because of their gender. We want to talk to some people that are trying to bridge the gap between men and women's pay in sport. Those people are Rugby X and Lewis FC. Rugby X is a new indoor rugby competition that is taking place later this month at the O2 Arena in London. We're going to be chatting to Ben Ryan. Ben is the famous coach who led Fiji's men's seven team to gold at the Rio Olympic Games in 2016. We're also going to be chatting to Heather Fisher. Heather Fisher is a rugby sevens player. She plays for GB and she's also going to be taking part in Rugby X later this month. Then we're going to hear from Maggie Murphy. Maggie is the GM of Lewis FC and Lewis are the only football club in the world to pay their men's and women's teams the same so let's first hear from Rugby X. How did it come about coming up with this concept? Well, so TRM, who are, who are the company behind it, had the original concept and then they got in touch with me to, because they haven't got any rugby background really. They got in touch with me um, and we kind of then meted it, I guess found a way to construct a variation of the game, I suppose. And it went through a few different... It, iterations over the last 18 months until where it is now and it might well carry on and have a few as you said it's a new sport new version of the game um but the basics are there now and from the outset um was it obvious that it was always going to be men and women on the same day or was that something that developed as the process went on the so our guiding principle was we wanted men and women together and we wanted salaries the same so that was our guiding principle and then you work through what you don't want to have and which I think some some versions of the sevens is kind of falling in this hole at the moment is just just chuck in men's and women's tournaments alongside each other which means the days are already long could be really long and if you put them together then you do run the risk of actually not having not building up one more than the other so you know the women can game in sevens could just be on the could just be kind of as an as an addition addition to the men's um because they're not going to get any extra different sponsorship supporters are going to come um as a whole it's not going to make a big difference it's long long days so you can't package it for tv so actually you've got to be careful about putting men's and women's tournaments together um if you don't have clear guiding principles and so for, for us it was same same salaries um, we wanted we wanted to showcase both sports, and we wanted to do it in a, a short enough format so that it it was one after another within a like two hour window. So that's how we've kind of that's where we're doing it. And going forward, obviously this is just the first year of it. Um, but how do you think this could potentially impact the rest of the rugby world by seeing you know it on terrestrial television? Um, equal um, salaries and, and kind of on an equal footing do you think you know other sports and other formats of rugby will kind of look at that and say we could do something similar 
Yeah, I, I, there are so many. There are so many potential ripple effects. I think from from Rugby X, from the bottom, the grassroots to the high end international stuff that we're going to see on October the twenty ninth. Um, so from the bottom bit, as an entry level sport, rugby is not brilliant because at fifteen aside, you require a large field, fifteen players for each. You need you need coaches that know understand the law book, which is pretty thick, and um, players that technically need to know what they're doing. It's it's not just a sport you can rock up and play, and then sevens is a brilliant sport, and yet it it's really hard to start. It's it's aerobically pretty knackering. You know you've got to cover a lot of ground, and and so that's not as a, as a sport we don't have a great easy entry point. Um, for people that if you start at under sevens you know you have you have a small version it builds itself up but adults that want to come into the game well they want an easy entry point and five aside taking away lineouts taking away competitive scrums taking away kickoffs um in a smaller area it's going to highlight the core skills it's really going to be simple thing to do on a patch of grass that doesn't require too much too much um, organization you only need one rugby ball and you're up and running um, and that's what we've always kind of suffered as a sport, not having a truly easy game to, to get going beyond what you do at mini rugby, almost having that mini rugby for adults. And that's kind of where we are with this. And there's four teams in the women's competition and six in the yes. men's. What was the reasoning behind that? The World Series at the moment is 16 men and 12 women. So we, we already have less in the women's than the men's. And it's a simple reason, really. The quality in the women's game isn't as high yet as it is in the men's. It's crikey. When I started coaching international rugby in 2005 or six, uh, the women's game was nowhere near as good as it is now. It's been on a really... It, but there were probably only about three or four teams that you could really say were were, were quality. And it's only been in the last couple of years that the women's game has become more professional and we've got more and more players going into the top table where they are now Olympic athletes. And really Olympics drove that. Um, but we still haven't got enough top table teams that are competitive. So that's why we went six and four. Um, there was a few admin things. We, I wanted to get the Australian women's team across and they weren't sure if they were going to be in the top four for the Olympics. And um, the Oceana, if they hadn't been, they would have had to do the qualifier, which was at the same time. Um, so that's how we've how we've gone in the future. Would we even it up? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think we'd want to keep to our guiding principles. Um, you want the best of the best in a two-hour slot, men's and women's equal pay. So there's no reason why we wouldn't do that. Um, and, and also, we, there's no reason why we wouldn't also look to try to expand it with the inclusion of something like a barbarians team that we've got for the men, which has shown given us a really good opportunity to get loads of different nationalities into that which I think would be brilliant. So, you know, in the men's team, we've got Fijians and South Africans and Kenyans. And, you know, those Kenyan players get paid a pittance, so do the Fijians. So it's a big salary payday for them. And in the women's game, if we can do something similar for that, there's not, you know, there's a few professional teams in the women's game, but not that many. So from salaries and finances, it could be brilliant. And there's obviously been a lot of press and uh, criticism as well, potentially, you know, for... Um, sometimes the, the contract policy with women's rugby and, and central contracts yep. and obviously the way the RFU have done it yep. and, and a focus more on sevens. Do you think this is something that could change or help that in terms of kind of forcing people to think differently? I do think some some nations haven't necessarily got their, their contracting model right for the women's game. Um, 
and it's you know the 15s and 7s global model does need sharpening up if you look at the 15 you know 7s is is the in my opinion 7s is the future of the women's game especially for participation um, and if you look at people like New Zealand who are probably the best women's team in the world at the moment um, they shut down their 15s program for most of the time and they play 7s uh, and then they'll shut it up just before the world world cup and you know they may play no games for a couple of years um, because sevens is their focus so I think you've got to be careful on on making sure you're doing it for the right reasons the right performance reasons around things um, England seem to keep jumping back and forth on what they want there and they don't have to have a clear a, a clear structure on that and um, I think what Rugby X will do is we're going to we're going to give them some finances so that's going to Im immediately hopefully they'll pass that on to the players and that will immediately mean that there'll be more money available for those players and that's a good thing full stop um, over a longer period if we have more tournaments and then that becomes a bigger salary then then obviously it means that they're going to be recruiting better players potentially that may not want to go full-time at the moment because of their other jobs um, and retaining players and also maybe they'll move the money around to use it for different things to fund talent ID in state schools or development pro projects who knows but I think the general premise uh, around it for that is is a, is a, is a really good one and I also think um, in the women's game um, for fifth, for starting up when when you start start up the, the the women's game a couple of things that often makes it harder for girls to start the game at the beginning while well, I've been a PE teacher and doing that is kicking because it's just just never kicked a ball might have kicked football um, and long passing because the ball is a size 5 and it's quite big in Rugby X neither of those things exist we don't need to have long passing we don't need to have big kicking and so when we watched the um, all the test events the women's games was in my opinion a better, better standard than the men's because it was really there's really good footwork really good evasion and it was a real pure version of the game that kind of everyone's forgotten about how rugby can be simple and beautiful um, and so I was really excited about that that was the one everyone from Rugby X left there going wasn't the women's games amazing it's like yeah this is going to be quite cool that we've suddenly the two things that perhaps are the uh, the restrictors to, to for the for the game at the highest level at the moment that aren't quite on par with the men's they're not they don't exist here and so flip that around people don't join sports if, if some things are too difficult to start with and if they're suddenly being asked to have a size five and chuck it 30 meters which is a pretty difficult skill or kick a ball off a restart 10 meters in the air and and they can't do it they might not carry on doing the sport so we're just taking that out as well at the start and I think um, yeah, it's, the, the signs are really good. So Heather, obviously you're going to be sort of one of the ambassadors um, for Rugby X and you're going to be competing as well. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant to be honest. I think it's just a very different challenge. It's kind of got no expectations. Um, it's got its own new set of rules which players obviously aren't used to so you don't know how to manipulate them or make them work for yourself. Which means really it's probably going to be quite a creative playing field. And you're one who likes to take on big challenges, obviously. Totally. <laughs> SAS Who Dares Wins and things like that. Do you think um, that's something that's just kind of always been in you, just go big? Yeah, totally. You know, my motto is you go big or go home. It's, it's pretty simple, you're in or you're out. Um, so from a very young age, I've just always made sure I put myself in a position where I'm in. If not, I'm out. And that's 
that's where I roll my life. And part of Rugby X's kind of platform, I guess, is having men and women compete together on the same mm-hmm. stage, under the same roof, same evening. Do you find that Sevens has kind of lent itself better to that platform and Fifteens is, is kind of catching up, maybe? Yeah, I think you've got two very different codes, to be honest with you. I think the Sevens game is growing phenomenally for the guys and the girls. Um, you know, we saw an uphill spike, you know, aiming towards Rio in terms of Sevens, in terms of exposure for the women's game especially. Um, after Rio, it probably lost momentum slightly because there's no exp- less exposure, I should say. Um, I think Sky cover most coverage of Sevens, but if you haven't got Sky, then you don't really see on the TV screens. So you kind of then you go into this, I guess, the 15s men's house, which is on your TV screens most weekends for, for guys. Girls is getting there. It's still online stream, but it's not on TV yet, Trash TV. Um, but in terms of the game growing, Sevens is, for the guys and the girls, it's still growing, you know, really, really strongly, to be honest. And 15s is, I think it's playing catch up, but I'm not even sure if it will even, it will really, I'm not sure where the pinnacle is for 15s at the moment. I think it's a little bit lost in this country because it's easy to get. 12, 13, 14 female players playing sevens, then it's trying to find a score of 30. Um, and sevens, there's so much excitement around the Commonwealth Games, the Olympics, and where that game can go. And the, the World Series growing literally year by year alongside the boys as well on the world stage. That I think 15s is slightly getting lost in it all, if my, that's my own opinion. And with Rugby X coming in October and, you know, hopefully getting a lot of coverage being on terrestrial TV, do you think, um, you know, 15s and other sports even will learn from that and say, you know, maybe we should do something different or also we should put men and women together maybe playing on the same day, whether that's women's football, men's football or even cricket? Yeah, I think it's happening. I think from a fan point of view, I think when I've done like, when I've sat on the sidelines and not, um, not played, it's a very long day to take a family out to watch two games. You're, you're literally talking, you know, by the time the team's warmed up, it's it's a good, what, a football game's like 90 minutes, isn't it? I think, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so, two 90 minutes plus your warm-ups, so that's a long, long day. So I just think, I, I don't know if it, it can work with every sport, trying to get the involvement in terms of roll-on, roll-off guys and girls. However, I think the exposure for the females, especially in sport, is growing. Um, you know, you've seen netball on TV for the World Cup and stuff recently, the cricket. Um, I think exposure is growing, but I think it's still a mentality change higher up the chain to go, right, we want females to be out there. It's about putting people where they deserve to be, and an athlete at the end of the day, take gender out of it, is working really solidly for their country or club. They deserve the recognition that 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 the hard work's been paid off. And looking at what kind of the hype and the momentum that women's football's gained from the success of the England team, how do you think rugby can learn from that and you know grow its its number of girls participating? For me, it starts the grassroots, making sure that we get in people and players at the grassroots level uh, and bring in players through the system. I think we get a big dropout in terms of obviously you know I know the RFU has had a massive cut this year in terms of funding and last year, um, and then it's making use of those. I guess when the funding's funding sport isn't great but still inspiring your players to keep going and inspiring the next generation to want to go and play for their club or country. Um, I think as well in terms of reality TVs growing, and when you've got reality TV growing, the people would rather go on Love Island or some celebrity island than they would go and play for their country. So I think just the mindset of life is changing, um, but it's very rare to find you know athletes, but yet athletes are out there and the level of athleticism between the guys and girls is, is, is phenomenal and it's on the up because you know at the end of the day I think the world is changing to be a better place in terms of health you know, in terms of schools 
everything's growing in that department, which will just mean that when they get to the top of the chain, they're in better, better positions. And what's next for you? This is in October. After that, what's the next big challenge? For me, I'm on the road to Tokyo. Um, <clears throat> I think probably my last year in rugby, to be honest. Um, but I'm aiming for the Olympic Games. And yeah, you've got a whole World Series ahead of myself this year. Um, hopefully a successful one with England. Um, and hopefully a successful Games, obviously literally just under 11 months away now. Um, but I, you know, I've been real fortunate to have a great career in my sport, you know, in bobsleigh and then into rugby, rugby 15s on sevens. Um, no wonder you've got no hair. It's crazy, <laughs> crazy stress levels. Um, but, you know, it, I, I kind of feel like I've had a great run. Um, but there's other things I want to go and do and achieve and, you know, inspire other people and just, I guess, just grow, you know, grow myself in a different way and take on a new challenge. So, yeah, World Series, Olympic Games, and then we'll see what's next. We've just heard from Heather Fisher and Ben Ryan from Rugby X, and now we're going to have a chat with Maggie Murphy. Maggie is the general manager of Lewis FC out in Sussex, and they are the only football club in Europe or the world, is it, Maggie? We understand it's the world. Definitely the, definitely the first in the UK, definitely the first uh, that we know of, so potentially in the world, yeah to pay their men and women's teams the same. Um, and they're both currently at a semi-professional level, right? Yeah, that's right. And the men's team, what tier are they in? So the men's team are currently in the seventh tier, um, whilst our women's are obviously in the championships, the second tier football. And how long have you been at women, uh, Lewis for? Uh, so I think this is week number seven or eight for me, so brand new to the job, um, just getting going. We've just had a couple of games um, in our new season. Currently unbeaten, so we're excited about that. Um, but yeah, looking forward to the rest of the season as well. And what Ben and, and Heather were talking about, what I chat to them about, is a big aspect of Rugby X's equal salary for the men and women's athletes and, and putting them on the same evening under the same roof at the O2 and putting them together on the same stage to profile them as you know athletes playing the same sport. So I kind of wanted to chat to you about what Lewis has done and, and the actual massive attention it's got mm -hmm. around the world um, especially as recently you guys won a, a UN award, a He for She award. Do you think um, kind of, well, first of all, how did the move come about? Obviously, I know you've only been there seven yeah. weeks, but how, how, from what you've learned, how did, how did Lewis go about making this change? Yeah, okay. So it, it was two years ago that the club decided to essentially split its resources equally along gender lines. So. Um, that means any money we make, uh, generate, any income from turnstiles, whatever it might be, that goes back into the central pot and then it's split equally. So that means equal pay budgets. Uh, we don't necessarily pay all the men and women exactly the same because there are differences, obviously, um, amongst the players themselves. Um, it also means we have the same marketing budget, we play on the same pitch. So in a way, it's not just about um, salary and money it's a lot of a lot of it is to do with value so we took the decision to value the women's team as much as the men's team i guess um, now it came about partly because lewis is a 100 community owned club so it's fan owned uh, anyone can become an owner around the world which is uh, you know, we have owners across 25, 26 countries who have seen what Lewis is doing, they admire its values, and so they say, yeah, you know what, I want to become an owner. Um, and I, don't, I think that's really important because as a football club, that means that we're not, I don't know, distracted or we're not going to be uh, disproportionately influenced by one or two single rich owners that might come into the club, inject loads of cash, and then walk away when they're bored a couple of years later. We're fan-owned, which means that we make decisions that are for the good of society. Um, so aside from having 
equal pay and you know valuing our players the same we also run things like football therapy sessions for people in the community that suffer from mental illness or depression uh, we run you know walking football for women in their like late stages of life maybe women that have never played before we obviously run wildcats programs for kids so it's very much a kind of program of social good and value and what is what we think is an exemplary football club that's what we're kind of aiming for I guess and how long has Lewis been around is this is, is the fan ownership element something that's always been there or is that quite a new thing that they've brought in oh, yes yeah, so that's interesting so the football club's been around for ages and ages so um, the actual the, the ground is called the dripping pan um, one of those kind of crazy strange names which has lots of different ideas and histories around it uh, it was it's been I think it's one of the longest in use clubs in the world so that was established in 1885 so football has been around for ages um, on the women's side personally and this is a bit of a funny tweak in the story but my first ever football match was at the dripping pan um, which was more than 20 years ago uh, so the women were have been around also for decades and they took the decision to become 100% community owned in about 2010 so that's not so not so new, I guess. Um, and that was on the back of a traditional, from what I understand, uh, you know, traditional challenges when it comes to single owners or just uh, you know funds drying up or whatever it might be. So yeah, it was on the back of financial crisis. A group of people came together and said, no, we want to own the club. We want to take it through into its next phase. Uh, and then the pay parity came in in 2017. So it's kind of a continual journey and constantly trying to align our principles and our values. Um, that means that we sometimes take a hit and it's and I have to say it's not easy this is like a really challenging thing to do um, but we take decisions on our finances such as deciding not to go with the sponsor that might come in because we don't think it's ethical or it doesn't align with our principles so we have actually said no to lucrative sponsors in the past because we didn't at the time you know there was a betting company for example that wanted to give us money and we said no that's that's not in line with our community's values um, so sometimes those decisions can be pretty tricky um, it, yeah, it's not easy. I think um, we like to, not that we like to make out, but we, we know we're proud of what we've done, but we also know it's not easy. So we're also willing to work with other clubs that might be thinking about doing the same. And what Lewis has done, I kind of mentioned it, is really making waves globally. You won the UN yeah. He For She Award. Have you had conversations with people? Have people come to you and said, we really, we really want to do what you're doing. Can you give us some advice or how do, how do you get it to work? Yeah, it's, it's a shame that we're making waves. Um, it's a shame that we are the only club that's done this. I think that we thought back in 2017 that once we'd done it, a couple of other dominoes might fall. Um, we're a little bit surprised that two years on, we are the only one. I have to say, you know, we won the He For She Awards. Uh, it was a 100% male board that took that decision a couple of years ago, which is interesting in, in and of itself, which is one of the reasons why we won this He For She Award. It's now more diverse uh, in its makeup. Um, but we we offer we often offer our support or you know some clubs will get in touch some individuals get in touch and i think that's really interesting a lot of the time change is made because a single person is really keen to push something through or has an idea or wants to learn uh, but there's definitely a network of clubs that like to do things differently uh, that get in contact um, but on the on the gender equality side you know what a lot of people are a little bit skeptical a lot of people will like to pick us up i think um, you know there are there are challenges you know our women are in tier two and the men are in tier seven shouldn't the women be paid more you know um, these are things that we're trying to work through and, and I think it's it's a constant process of learning even for us but we'd be happy to do that with others as well 
And that, well, you kind of mentioned, kind of leads me on to a question which is probably a bit tricky to answer, but obviously now the te- both teams are semi professional, so it makes it a bit easier to warrant them being paid the same. If the women were to be promoted, they would go into a full-time professional league, the WSL. How would that affect the men's programme and and potentially the pay of the pot of pay that goes to them? Yeah, I mean, if we follow this through, then their pay pot would be increased as well. So, um, you know, obviously if we got promoted, which we hope we will this year, next year, who knows, um, we are keen to move towards being fully professional as, as soon as we can. Um, parts of our setup are already professional. We do have a number of players that um, are able to train up to five times a week, um, which is you know already at the at the top tier standard. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I say, it's not necessarily just about the salary, but it's also about the the money that is generated that goes back into the central pot. Um, and again, it's 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 a little bit something that I want to keep coming back to is this idea of value because we're seeing increased interest in women's sport but I'm not quite sure that we're hitting the value side of things so um, okay, I'll tell you one thing we're I think at the moment we are the most expensive club in the UK to go and watch women's football at. we're really proud of that um, because we value our players we're gonna charge 10 pounds it's still a great value day out um, you know on 16s go free and we've got um, concessions and the rest of it uh, but you know we we increased our, our um, ticket prices by about 40% and attendance has doubled. And so since we actually started increasing our prices, over the last couple of years alone, attendances have quadrupled. So a lot of people you know, think that you have to give away free tickets or whatever it is to get people in. But actually, sometimes if you just say simply, we are a club and we value this product, more people come. Um, it's a confidence thing. We're proud. We're we're really proud of our women's team, and it shows. The community are really proud of it as well. And you know, people come from across South England to come and watch us as well. Um, so yeah, I, d- I don't know. There's there's a couple of questions there around value and about uh, revenue and how it's generated. But essentially, we want to be very much one club with the resources that are generated coming back into the central pot. And some of our work, especially the work we did last year, has kind of talked about pay disparity in the wide areas of sport just for women who work in sport in general and one of the stats we had is that 37 percent of women believe that they are paid less for the same role as men which is a conversation that's been ongoing across the whole of uk the whole of the world that gender pay gap and looking outside of the athletes themselves you know which is rugby x and, and lewis are trying to solve that problem but in your wider experience with the Sport Integrity Global Alliance and Equal Playing Field and things like that. Do you think sport is moving faster than the rest of industries in terms of aligning pay, promoting women into boards and things like that? Big question. Um, I think the short answer is I I don't know because there's lots of research. I I guess this is actually really interesting. The fact that there is more research being generated by people like women in sport is fantastic because we're we're starting from quite a low base without knowing that much about uh, salaries. Sport is really secretive. So compared to other sectors where they are are having to publish their pay gap analysis, uh, the sports world operates often on a different set of principles and values. They're they're quite often very secretive. Again, at Lewis, um, a small thing, but we're one of the only clubs that we know of that publishes all our annual reports and financial reports in full online, so anyone can go and have a look at them. Um, That's standard in some sectors, but it's not standard in the sports sector. So I think, number one, getting that data is, is really important to be able to see it. 
Um, is it improving? You know, there have been some really important decisions made uh, that now require sports boards to be to have 30% of women or men um, on a board. That doesn't apply to, that doesn't have a diversity statistic on it, so it's just women and I think we also need to see more people of more diverse backgrounds that are making decisions on um, like on, on the way that money is spent and invested and and what is broadcast, for example. Uh, I remember looking at the, it was one of the latest FA annual reports, I think it's 2016, 2017, so I hope things have changed. But when you look at that, when you look at the, they have you know a growing number of women that are now uh, council members, uh, FA committee members, but when you look at the committee composition, any of the really important committees that, uh, for example, the nominations committee that you know that appoints people to senior roles is entirely male. The finance committee was entirely male. The a number of those other committees are entirely male. And the only two committees in that report that had more than two women sitting on them was the diversity committee and the women's committee. So I think there's also a kind of governance issue in all of this as well. Ultimately, it's you know people in decision-making roles that decide what we watch, what is broadcast, what is invested in, what sport is banned, uh, what, what sport is promoted. So if we have more diverse composition on those, on those uh, committees, then we're gonna get better outcomes for society, not just one sector of society, I think. And at Lewis, um, kind of looking ahead, what, you, you're fairly new there, a big role, an ambitious club, an exciting future, especially with women's football at the moment, what are you hoping to kind of to reach and do while, while you're there? Yeah, okay, so I think ultimately none of this really matters unless we see success on the pitch. Um, but if we, but conversely, if we see success in the pitch, we hope that we've proven concept, the idea that equality can actually lead to best possible outcomes. So of course in my role as general manager, uh, I want us to be winning every single week. Um, but at the same time, I also want us to be standing true to our to our principles and to be the, the best club in the world on all possible levels. Um, that that sounds a bit pine sky, a bit flimsy, but actually, if you break that down into things like um, uh, diversity or social outcomes, like I mentioned about the um, football therapy that we do, um, I think you can break that down into into more specific targets that I'd like us to reach. I'd like us to be a bit more diverse in, in the way that we are run and structured. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, if we see success on the pitch, if we get promoted, then we can take that story even further. Um, it's, it's difficult because Lewis FC a lot of the time is Lewis who. Um, people don't, have never heard of us. And then when we say, well, actually, you know, we've got Crystal Palace on Sunday and yeah, we beat Blackburn Rovers 5-1 last week. And uh, people are like, oh, that's nice. Um, you know, almost kind of confused by it. So I think, I think we need to be better known. You were very generous. You said that our story has gone around the world. Well, it has, but in niche circles. Uh, it's not actually Joe Bloggs on the street that knows anything about us. And so I, I do think that, you know, if we, if, ideally if we were promoted, with that comes more visibility and more ability to share our story and more ability to inspire other people to do the same. Um, but even if we're not promoted, we still want to be able to share that story and prove that this is, this. This crazy concept of paying men and women the same is actually worth doing. I think that's uh, that's what we're aiming for.
So that's episode two of the Women in Sport podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening and please keep your feedback coming through on social media and through our support inbox, support at womeninsport.org. Join us later this month when we'll be doing a menopause special episode of the podcast for Menopause Awareness Week and we'd love to hear from you about what you want to discuss on that episode.